This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, it's Greg Hoffman from Take Command. And the best part about podcasts is they create a 25th hour in the day. Whenever I'm commuting, metro, car, even when I'm riding my bike around town, although in that case, one earphone only, safety kids, I'm always listening to podcasts. And this offseason, you can get all the insights, all the news, all the analysis, and Logan and I occasionally make a joke or two in the Take Command podcast on demand so it fits in to your busy schedule. Follow Take Command in the Odyssey app or wherever you get your pods. This is Matt Spiegel, and I can't wait to bring you Season 2 of the PBP, Voices of Baseball. The very best play-by-play voices in the game talk about their craft. It's a job so special that even Joe Buck told us he will probably go back to it. I'm 53, basically 54. I I think it's too early to say nevers at this point in my life. I think at some point I'll get the itch again. Incredible guests sharing great stories from your favorite teams coming this year. Find us on the Odyssey app or wherever you find podcasts. It's time to take command with former NFL tight end Logan Paulson and former Commander's Beat reporter Craig Hoffman. Take Command Podcast. What's up? What's happening? Craig Hoffman uh, for a quick introduction live from Comedy of Errors Central. Uh, You see what had happened was uh, Logan and I recorded a podcast this morning, which was a bit of a miracle because... Uh, old, old Paulson left his laptop in the DMV when he went down to the Senior Bowl in Mobile, Alabama. Uh, luckily, we were able to find a way to do a recording, or at least that's what I thought. Um, I felt like a technical genius, if I'm being honest. I was like, ah, it's okay. Let me call you on FaceTime, and I can record this and screen capture that. And um, I, uh, I made a, a little bit of a boo-boo with that recording. Luckily, it was actually just a little bit of a mess up. So uh, the first like two and a half minutes of the podcast are gone forever. Uh, Luckily, we're able to salvage the final 44 minutes of it. And thus, you were about to hear 97% of what we recorded this morning. I don't know if that math actually checks out. So don't nobody, nobody double check on that. Here's what you can do. Uh, Keep on listening. The full podcast is coming. It is a look at how the final four teams in the NFL have built their rosters and their organizations and how much of that can the commanders use as a model. And then we get into some of the prospects that Logan is looking forward to seeing at the Senior Bowl. Because Logan was on his phone and not his laptop, uh, you will hear a little bit of an audio difference compared to the usual uh, for him. But all in all, the information, great as always. And we avoided total catastrophe, a.k.a. a 100% lost podcast so with that said intro over here we are picking up talking about the kansas city chiefs and how they built a juggernaut headed to their fourth super bowl of the patrick mahomes era like to start with their offensive line they got trey smith at right guard a fifth round pick who's developed into something Pretty special, you know. I don't want to say he's a Pro Bowl caliber player, but he's kind of right in that fringe, in that conversation every season. Obviously, Creed Humphrey. And then they go out and do a great job in free agency of bringing in uh, Juwan Taylor at left tackle. The right tackle's name escapes me at the moment. But 
both those guys were kind of, we got to make sure the money works. We got to make sure the, uh, all those situations are correct with the Mahomes contract. So great job by, by them. They do a great job finding a dynamic running back later in the draft and having a vision and a role for him. And then I think they understand. Like, I think when you look at Tom Brady, when you look at Tom, Tom Brady more than Peyton Manning, like when you have an elite quarterback, you don't necessarily need elite receiver talent. And so that's kind of where they de-invested. Obviously, Rasheed Rice is coming on the playoffs. And then you have his his buddy, his partner in crime, and Travis Kelsey, who, again, was a third-round tight end that's developed in that system. So I think when you look at the pieces, they've, they've done stuff through the draft. They've done a great job finding pieces in terms of free agency that fit their vision and their system. And I think when you look on the defensive side of the football there, it's kind of like it's like almost a master class in talent development and draft allocation of draft resources, right? You've got the kid out of Purdue from a couple of years ago who Carl Loftus, border, yeah. yeah, Carl Loftus, who ends up being super productive in that game yesterday. Uh, the linebackers have all developed. Nick Bolton, all, you know, the guy they drafted from Wisconsin a couple of years ago. The secondary is a guy. All drafted guys that have or like relatively recent free agent acquisitions, young free agent acquisitions that have all developed. So. I think it's the development of the secondary plus the draft capital and then seeing a vision for those guys. And I think that's going to be a very common theme through for every single team. But I, I think in terms of structure, like all these teams have been very successful in those categories. They've just been very, very successful with the draft, with free agency. And I think they've built, again, like you said, the, the main piece is Patrick Mahomes, but right. they've built an ecosystem where he can be successful. I think that the thing that impresses me the most about the Chiefs and how they've built it is the plan that they had. Like, they let go of the guy who's turned into maybe the best receiver in football, certainly the best receiver in 2023 right. in Tyreek Hill. And they they might, if they win in two weeks in Las Vegas, like, since that happened, they will have played two years and won two Super Bowls. That's yeah. dumb. Like, you shouldn't be able to do that. You shouldn't be able to lose right. an MVP and still win, but they they did it because they understood we can get by here, but we need to beef up here. We need to buttress Mahomes in this offense with a really good defense. Like we're, the rest of our money has to go on the other side of the ball, and we'll rely on the fact that Mahomes is good. And if we protect him, we can actually get away with that because I think that's the other piece. Is like they have invested in the O line, yes. but they've done it in ways that don't involve a lot of money. And I think that yeah. is the key. Like, obviously, you're going to have to get some of that stuff right. The way the salary cap is, you have to be really, really good in the draft. And you have to be willing to let guys walk, too. And whether that's, you know, a high-end player like Tyree Kill, whether that's, you know, a guy that was the right starting right tackle for them last year, Andrew Wiley. Like, he was going to be more yeah. expensive than their taste. And so they they moved on. Um, they've moved on from other offensive linemen as well, but they've always had a replacement plan. And I think they also have like a style of play that they understand what they are. Um, and I think that's been a really impressive shift to watch. Like with Tyreek and kind of what they used to have, they used to have the track team, right? It was Tyreek, yeah. it was Nicole Hardman. I know Hardman's still there uh, or was back there, but like young Nicole Hardman, who was a 4-3 guy, Tyreek 4-2 guy. They had a couple others whose names are, uh, or I can't think of at the moment, but it was literally just like a track team. And it was, it was super vertical passing game. Uh, as vertical as you can get when Andy Reid and the West Coast offense is your offense. But um, they were attacking vertically, and, and teams eventually were just like, we can't do this. We can't live. Like, Mahomes is going to kill us. And so what the Chiefs have done is kind of gotten out ahead of that 
and said, we're going to have a really physical running game as part as a, as a club in our bag. We're going to attack underneath more. Kelsey's going to become the featured guy, and we're going to get some other receivers. You know, Juju Smith-Schuster was big for them in this role last year. I think MVS is the guy that they, they kind of like being in this role, even though some of his bigger plays have been down the field. But, like, let's get some possession-oriented receivers. Or Rashi Rice a guy who's really dynamic with the ball in his hands in a quick screen game and use the fact that Andy Reid's the best screen designer in the history of the league. And they found other ways to produce offense without needing those vertical shots because teams don't give them those vertical shots. So it's, it's a personnel plan. It's a, it's a schematic plan. They've, they've just really have a good understanding of who they are and who they want to be. And I think that's going to allow Patrick Mahomes, as long as they keep that, to have like this second act in the same way that Brady did. Like that's the challenge for them now, even though the first act doesn't seem to be over yet. They're playing in the Super Bowl in two weeks. But like it, it's had longevity and continuity in ways that other teams are flashing the pan and leave because they've continued to evolve the plan around Mahomes, uh, which is a lot easier than doing it without a Mahomes, but they've continued to evolve it and, and matched personnel and scheme and all of the things together. I think that's another thing that people sleep on is, or like, you know, that people forget about. I mean, <clears throat> people talk about Patrick Mahomes and the personnel moves, but I think Andy Reid deserves a ton of credit. I think he kind of saw the way the league was going in terms of defensive approach. And, you know, like everyone was kind of moving to these two uh, more conservative coverage shells, more disguising coverage shells. And so he basically said, like, we need to be better underneath because teams were kind of killing them with that too high structure for the longest time. No one could play cover three against them because of Tyree Kill. And they said, well, you know, why don't we just remove this chess piece from the board? Let's get into these two structures. Let's like lean into Travis Kelsey. I think there's like that takes a lot of foresight, you know, and I think like it kind of being a little bit ahead of what the defense is doing. Again, you have the ultimate equalizer in Patrick Mahomes. But I think when you look at the team of the last three or four years, I think like the change you're describing is a schematic change as much as anything. It's a philosophy change as much as anything. And I think when you have a coach like Andy Reid, a guy that, you know, obviously is one of the best play callers maybe in the history of the NFL. And I'm not saying that lightly or hyperbolically. Like, I think his resume speaks for itself. Sure. Like, it allows you to stay ahead of the curve. It's the same thing. Like, when you look at San Francisco, they've got Kyle Shanahan, you know. And I think, you know, Detroit's got um, Ben Johnson. And the, the offensive coordinator in um, in Detroit didn't call his best game, I think, the other night. But he has been awesome in terms of innovating that offense. So, I think being at the cusp of offensive innovation and understanding and seeing predicting where the league is going makes some of these personnel moves make a little bit more sense which i think is pretty um which i think is which i think is something that again we can talk about you know putting the pieces on the board so to speak but i think it's always important to remember the guy that's moving them around and the guy that's maximizing them yeah and putting the pieces on the board i think is going to lead us to baltimore in a second i will say we'd be remiss to not mention steve spagnola as well Absolutely. maybe one of the 10 I, I said this the other day on the radio show like He's got to be one of like the 10 most underrated coaches in the history of the NFL. Like his resume with in terms of assistance and assistance, I guess, inherently when they don't go on to become head coaches successfully wind up being uh, unheralded, uh, not talked about a lot. But like Spags, what he did with the Giants uh, and then what he's done in Kansas City, like this dude's incredible as a D.C. Yeah. 
and yeah. what he's done with that unit. And obviously they've got a stud at the center of it and Chris Jones who makes his life a lot easier. But the way they develop talent on that side of the ball and the way they deploy it is just tremendous. And, you know, I started the radio show on Monday just saying, like, I think people need to understand this is a defensive first football team. Like we talk about Mahomes and Kelsey because they get the headlines because it's a quarterback and he's him. And, you know, that's who they've been. It's not it's not like this is this is always how it's been. But the 2023 Kansas City Chiefs are a defensive football team. Yeah. And I think that's, you know, not mentioning Steve Spagnola would be uh, would be silly. Um, meanwhile, on the other side, you know, Baltimore, a model organization in its own right, has been for basically its entire existence in Baltimore since they rebooted uh, the Ravens in 25 years ago. Um, Ozzie Newsome, et cetera. Uh, but. I think with them, like the pieces are so good. Their talent acquisition has been so good. And then you get into some of the same stuff in terms of the clarity of assignments and, and the way they coach them up there is just next level. Yeah, and I think I, I really do think they do a good job. I know uh, the talent acquisition is a big deal of having a vision that I think resides in uncontested space to a certain extent. Like they on the offensive line are really okay going out and just getting like huge big athletes that people kind of shy away from traditionally and I and to their credit man they do they've done a great job with developing that group you know obviously they go out and they signed Morgan Moses two off seasons ago and I know he's not like a top five guy but I definitely think he's like a 10 12 ish guy in the NFL and that's that's awesome to have that guy obviously Ronnie Stanley's dealing with the injury but you know, like he when he's at his best, he's one of the best tackles in football. They have an excellent swing guy there. They like their offensive line depth's amazing. Their ability to kind of find and kind of build a system around these more unconventional, larger, more physical body types and speak to Lamar Jackson's skill set again goes back to that schematic element. Defensively, I mean they've got Michael Pierce on the defensive line who's a four hundred pound nose guard. I think he's listed at three seventy five, but we all know that's a lie, right? So, you know, like you have guys like that that other teams don't value the same way. And then they're like, we value this piece. We want this piece here. And they've built the defense that way. And I think that that's pretty exciting. Like when you see like a vision, it doesn't have to be, you know, the perfect model for the position as seen by the league. It has to be the perfect model for the position as seen by you. And so they've done a great job in free agency, identifying talent. They've done a great job in the draft of identifying those uncontested space spaces. Obviously, Ozzie Smith uh, is the guy that kind of comes to mind. Uh, Ozzie Newsom. That'd be cool if Ozzie Sorry. Smith did it, though. Sorry, the old Ozzie Cardinal Newsom. shortstop out there doing backflips and drafting talent. That'd be sick. Yeah, there we go. That's Thanks for catching that. I should know that. Tight end, like iconic Hall of Fame tight end. Yeah. Messed that one up pretty good. And it's then, okay. It's uh, For know, those, think, for those think, uh, think, that don't know, because it's a podcast, it's very early in the morning in Mobile, Alabama. So we're going to give Logan <laughs> a pass uh, as we record this. I have and no then, excuses, but it's it's very early for Logan. <clears throat> and then Kyle Hamilton, I think everyone was yeah. like, you know, what's his role going to be? How does he fit? And everyone's like, oh, he's not a, like when I was doing the evaluation, he's not a post safety, right? And they said, we know he's not a post safety. Let's right. use him not in that way. And I think that that's something really nice. Like when you see that, um, when you see a, a team that says, we know what this guy is and we've identified how best to use him. So again, that's the scouting department. That's McDonald. That's everybody that's involved in that process. But I think that's what makes that team so dynamic. And again, you go back to draft and free agency. They've all been pretty successful. And I think that that is something that, again, good teams find a way with that talent evaluation, which is why that Adam Peters hires are so important. 
to get that done right. and get that accomplished. I think the other thing that Baltimore has generally done, and I think their failure to do this offensively on Sunday is why they lose as much as anything, is they know who they are. And they yeah. go to that. And I think when you look at the offensive game plan Sunday, Munkin only gives six carries to running backs. Like, that's brutal. Like, you can't drop yeah. Lamar back 30. What, I mean, he wound up 37 passing attempts, probably 40 dropbacks because uh, he wound up scrambling a couple of times. So it, it's just, uh, it, to me, it's like an inexcusable game plan. I, and it's extra stunning because that's not what Baltimore does. Baltimore doesn't Correct. zig uh, away from what they do. They're like, nope, we're a Zag team. We're zagging. Come stop us. Yeah. And they they did that to being the best team in, in the league. Um, and I'm sure that's something that they're going to kick themselves about all off season. But I, I think that, you know, the, the coaching element, if we want to touch on McDonald real quick too, like, um, and Anthony Weaver, who's interviewing for this job here, like that talent identification piece works hand in hand with talent development when you have great coaches. And John Harbaugh has just consistently hired great, great coaches. And he himself is obviously a phenomenal coach who um, I would guess, you know, we obviously saw a little bit of coaching happening at, at the joint practice, but there's so much like that's just managing two teams so they don't kill each other. That's your job as a head coach at a joint practice. Right. But I'd imagine day to day uh, when it's just them and Owings Mills, like he's probably involved in some of the drills. Like he's bouncing around. Like he's, he knows the game offensively, defensively, obviously special teams as well uh, with, with his background. And I, I think that that coaching level leads to success like this because you just like you can develop talent better when you have a clear vision for it and when you're a good teacher and that that at the end of the day is going to be I think the biggest thing that we're going to see across all these staffs um, McDonald is obviously tremendous at it as a defensive coordinator and it's also been the biggest failure in a lot of teams that haven't done particularly well you like look at their staffs and they fall apart um, or, or teams that fall apart and you look at the staffs and you're like oh that that makes a little bit more sense. None of those guys are, are you know, the ascending next coach uh, or next big, you know, whether it's position coach, OC or or DC or, or head coach, like the staffs that are continually rated every year, um, they come from the best teams. And that's a, it's a bit of a vicious circle, if you will. Um, it's a cyclical type of thing. Yeah, no. And I think like talk about developing coaching staff, I think McDonald was developed definitely like almost entirely in-house obviously goes to Michigan but I think yeah. like that only idea of developing boss. coaches like in addition to developing players is so important you know and I think like what is your vision like I remember I was talking to somebody about the San Francisco tree and they were like they had a really kind of detailed plan with Mike McDonald there of developing young coaches so that because they understood they understood that like guys are going to leave they're going to move on from this tree and so that I think, like you said, good teams have plans for when guys leave. I think Kansas City, how many how many coaches have left that tree, that offensive coordinator position, and they've just filled it. And they've and again, Andy Reid provides some continuity there, but right. understanding and having talented people to get that stuff communicated is critical. So I think um, I think that's something when you look at the the landscape of these teams, they've they've kind of checked all these boxes: personnel, coaching, succession plans, and you know, obviously, it's disappointing that Baltimore comes out and, and like you said strays so drastically from who they are and their identity again they've thrown the ball more this year but you know they're a physical football team like be a physical football team um so so a little disappointing but ultimately like i think they they all kind of follow similar templates and i think these two teams um you know are going to be good for a long time because of what they've done they've found the quarterback piece both teams obviously to different levels 
But I think you can win with Lamar Jackson. Obviously, he hasn't won a Super Bowl yet, and I think people are going to – detractors are going to point that out all the time. But I think you're in a spot with that roster with him where you say, hey, man, we're going to be in it every single year because we've got the guy and we've, and we've built the roster around the guy in a way that supports his skill set. And, um, and I think, I think that's, that's a, like a perfect – easier said than done, but a pretty uh, – uh, pretty consistent roadmap for that kind of stuff yeah no doubt and i think it's important to remember just because someone hasn't yet doesn't mean that they can't and i think that certainly applies to lamar jackson hey everyone this is brett boone would you know it i've got a podcast going strong in our fourth year tune in as i sit down with my friends some of the biggest names in sports media entertainment for a lot of fun and in-depth conversations as you know baseball's been my life it's been in the family for a long time but it's a lot more than that here it's sort of like taking a ride in a golf cart around a beautiful track Join me every week for multiple episodes on the Brett Boone Podcast, available on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Just because someone hasn't done it yet doesn't mean they can't applies to Lamar Jackson. Logan, I would also say that applies to Kyle Shanahan. Uh, <laughs> we look at the NFC game quickly now. Uh, obviously, I think we're now more interested in the the, the play caller on the other side uh, with Detroit mm. and Ben Johnson. But um, I think, obviously, we're very interested in the San Francisco model because a huge part of that was Adam Peters, who is now here in DC. And I, and I think actually these two teams have more similarities than they do differences oh in terms of how they've built it, which is funny because Ben Johnson and Dan Campbell, you know, the 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 style that they play is so resemblant of some people that came off the Shanahan tree and neither of them did. Um Campbell out off the Sean Payton tree, which is kind of the Bill Parcells uh tree and then Johnson has kind of got this amorphous background where he's worked because he was in Miami and everyone just kept keeping him. He's, he's coached under so many different people. And yet he kind of lands on a style that looks very similar to what Kyle does. But I think more important than that, like even bigger picture than the schematics offensively and kind of this toughness mindset is they have found GM and head coach who have a great collaborative relationship. And I think mm. that is the model that so many teams are really trying to repeat more than anything else, more than any other style. The principle is we need to get the right GM, uh, and what that's John Lynch in San Francisco and Brad Holmes in Detroit, pair them with the head coach with a distinct vision, Dan Campbell and, and Kyle Shanahan, and let them work. And that's worked in both places. We'll see if uh, Detroit can have the continuity that San Francisco has had multiple NFC championship games, now multiple Super Bowl appearances. We'll see if it pays off in a Super Bowl victory. But that to me is like the most important thing. And, and obviously, you know, Adam Peters is one piece here in Washington. We'll see if they can then get the second piece in and how they work together. But that is like the core center that allows these teams to do what they've done in the NFC. I mean, a thousand percent, I think a thousand percent. And I think when you look at, again, the relationships and I, it's so crazy to me how similar these teams are, especially on offense. I mean, they've got the elite tight end, they've got speed and kind of, you know, satellite playmakers with unique skill sets, Amon Ratzlein, Brown, Debo, Samuels. They've got coaches that know how to speak to that. They run the football. They've got elite offensive linemen, Panay Sewell, Trent Williams. They emphasize running the football. I mean, obviously they draft a running back in the first round. Kyle Shanahan trades all this draft capital for a running back. And I don't know, it just the, the, the model, the understanding of the coach's vision. And I think one thing that sticks out to me about both these teams is the principles 
with which they've acquired talent. So like, for example, you know, I got my little sheet that I'm doing for the senior bowl. So that's kind of fresh on the mind, but there's categories. There's right. There's like, you know, there's like a binary yes, no column where like, can they play in the NFL? Yes or no. Then there's like a compete toughness category, right? Which is, you know, yes or no. Are are they competitive? Are they tough? And I look at those competitive tough categories and they, both teams emphasize that to the maximum. And I think it's just so important to remember Baltimore does as well. Kansas City doesn't feel that way, but defensively, they've got a whole bunch of guys like that. And just how important that category is, that competitive element. And I know that sounds ridiculous because it's NFL football. Everyone should be competitive. But they have built teams that resemble Dan Campbell and resemble the competitiveness of Kyle Shanahan. And I, and again, I think that's so critical. Like, And I, Adam Peters has seen her firsthand, so I'm very confident this will happen. But understanding that football is a physical football game, right? And you need guys that are passionate and they like that that physical element of it because when you watch Detroit, when you watch the 49ers, when they when the 49ers played the Washington Commanders, they just they were like we're a more physical team than you, and they just yeah. leaned on us in a way that you don't very see Baltimore same type of way. So I think you're talking about the relationship between the GM and the and the coach, but I also think like there's they both of those player people in both organizations have an understanding of what that of that competitive tough element right. that needs to be uh, that needs to that needs to accomplish this kind of the, these dominant offensive football teams right who those people are is really important them being friends isn't enough like you need to have the yeah. right vision and, and obviously they both do and I'll say this too about Kansas City like Mahomes is a competitive psycho psycho like, that dude is oh my god he's nuts when it comes to the competitive stuff and Kelsey is too and like you see it you know, with them I thought Justin Tucker was interesting after the game you know he's like yeah I thought when they were moving all my stuff and throwing it around it was all in good fun uh I think they were actually a little bit more serious though and like, yeah. would would Mahomes and Kel- will Mahomes and Kelsey inevitably this week be like, oh yeah, no, nothing but respect for him. He's the greatest kicker ever. Like, th- once they're out of the competitive mode, they can be gracious and human. Right. But like in that moment, like no, they were like, get the out of here, man. Like <laughs> yeah. you're get your dumb kicker stuff and take it back down to your end of the field. We're warming up. Get out of our way. And like you know, had a defensive tackle come up and tried to say something to Patrick Mahomes, Mahomes wouldn't have backed down. Like, he's nuts when it gets in a competitive mode. And he's got kind of that MJ, like, we all watched The Last Dance and how Jordan would kind of create competitive situations out of thin air, you know, and and Mahomes is the same way. He, you know, he will create doubters even when they aren't actually there. So I think that competitive mindset, that competitive nature is is something that is so so critical um i, I think obviously talent and, and understanding how to use it yeah. matters as well um which brings me to a point i'd like to ask you about with detroit because i feel like people like there's a natural pushback to ben johnson uh, at, from some portions of the fan base because he's the favorite and some people are just like if everyone says this then i have to say that and there's like right, a right. there's that element but i think then they start to make arguments that just aren't true Um, And one of them is, well, Ben Johnson has a ton of talent to work with. And I actually don't think that like they have an abnormal amount of raw talent or have made an insane amount, like an uneven amount of investment on the offensive side in Detroit. I think what they've done is very similar to what Kyle has done, to what some of these other teams we've talked about have done, where it's like, 
we know what we want to be and we know who fills those spots. Like I'm on Ross mm-hmm. St. Brown's a fourth round pick. He's awesome. Yeah. I'm not telling you he's, he's actually worse than, than he is, but it wasn't like he was a, the first round coveted receiver. By the same token, you look at, you know, some of their their other pieces. I mean, even Jared Goff, like Jared Goff's last two years in L.A. and his first year in Detroit were bad. Like, mm-hmm. I, and that has gotten a race, you know, the idea that he's, oh, well, he was the first overall pick and he took L.A. to a Super Bowl. And it's like, yeah, then he stunk for three years and yeah. Ben Johnson helped revive him. Now, have they made really smart investments? Yes, Panay Sewell is incredible at what he does and he was a wise choice for them as a first round pick and a high first round pick. Um, obviously now that they've built it, like a Jameer Gibbs is, is a bit of a luxury pick for them, but people, uh, and sometimes it's like sides of the ball thing too, where they're like, uh, well, they've invested way more on offense than defense. Aaron Glenn's actually more impressive. I'm like, well, Aiden Hutchinson was the number two pick. Jack yeah. Campbell was a first rounder. Like don't, you're actually telling on yourself that you're not, you're not paying close enough attention, but I'm curious what you make of kind of the skill level of Detroit and how Johnson elevates it beyond the, the draft capital that was spent on it slash the resources that were invested in it. Yeah. And I think like the, one of the pieces in there that you kind of forget about is David Montgomery. You know, he's like the engine that drives that car and he's like not a highly touted guy, but they had a vision for how to utilize him. I think Sam Laporta too, like, he was yeah. the best tight end in the draft, or one of the better tight ends. You know, I like Luke Musgrave a lot. But, um, you know, very, very talented piece. But understanding how to use that player, finding out what they can do, what do they uh, – you know, Amonara St. Brown is such an interesting guy because I, I, the more you watch him, the more you love his game. But you have to find ways to maximize him and maximize his touches and maximize his opportunities. So I think there's like this kind of chicken or egg thing. And I think when you look at – Kyle, like Kyle's off. Kyle's one of the best offensive minds in football. He's very talented on the offensive side of the football. Sean McVay, very, very talented on the offensive side of the football. They found pieces that fit their vision offensively, right? But Cooper Cup wins the triple crown. Puka Nakua is a baller. Like they, you know, what I'm saying like they have right. They, so it's like a little bit like it's they a have yes talented and thing. pieces, but they also find ways that something you always say, right? You abide by the dude theory. Like get the dude the ball, and it's not just say hey. You know, go run a go. It's like, hey, let's find out like what you're good at, right? Amon-Ra, you're really good at like the, fi- the the nuance, the beauty, the kind of the fine science of route running. Let's put you in positions where you can use that skill, right? Williams, the kid from Alabama from two years ago coming off the ACL. You know, you're not always super consistent catching the football. Let's give you a reverse, right? Right in that strike zone, you're going to be our explosive play guy, and you're going to do something special with the football, right? Jameer Gibbs is a luxury pick, right? They took him. I think it took him a while to figure out how best to maximize him. But just understanding that, hey, we, you know, when we're running these deeper concepts, we get the ball in a check down, or we can attack perimeter in the run game with him. Like we found a way to maximize what he does well. And I think, like in different systems, that's one thing. Like for example, with uh, with Gibson here, you know, like has his usage been maximized over the course of his tenure here? And if he were to go to a guy like Ben Johnson or Kyle Shanahan, guys that understand how to creatively use running backs, what does his career look like? Does it look completely different? And I think that's something that people miss, right? It's like, this is, I think, an interesting kind of anecdote. I remember talking to Sean McVay, this was like 15 years ago now, and he was like, there's only four players on a roster that are scheme agnostic. Every other person on that roster is scheme dependent. So when you look at the the Detroit Lions, there's probably two guys offensively and two guys defensively, 
that are scheme agnostic completely. They can play at any scheme. Everybody else, while being good football players, is elevated by the scheme. And I think that's something people forget about. Yes, it's a first-round talent, but how many times have you seen first-round talents fail or be unproductive in certain systems? And it's because they aren't maximized. And, and, the, and the coaching staff, and you talked about this already, and it's all it's, it's cyclical. It's all related, right? The GM and the head coach having a conversation saying, we have a vision for this player. This is how we're going to use him. This is how we're going to maximize him. And I think that that's what you see with Ben Johnson, with Kyle Shane. And that's why it's so fun to talk about these teams is they found pieces, right? And they said, this is how we're going to get you better and speak to your skill set. And they do that all the time. And so, yeah, they're very talented offensively. But I also think the talent looks better in those systems because of what they're able to do in terms of saying, hey, this is what you're good at. You know, we're going to motion you to a bunch, Amon Ron. You're going to run a choice. Oh, we're going to get you on the move, and you're going to attack this high cross on the move, and you're going to make a great play. We're going to run this dig, but we're going to have Williams be the clear-out guy because he's really fast and teams get scared to create some more space for you. That kind of stuff is what makes him look better. Now, he's a very productive football player, but I'm, I'm pretty confident if he went to a different system, he'd be good, but I don't think he'd be getting the level of pub that he's getting now. And again, that's not an indictment of him. It's just trying to show that there's like a symbiotic relationship here between right. coaches and players. Right. It's going to be fascinating if Johnson winds up coming here, what Dan Campbell does for the OC job yeah. there in Detroit. So uh, definitely intrigued on that front. Um, what did you make of Johnson's day? I was, I mean, he, they started so hot and I really like, I think the slowdown came from player execution. Like yeah. if Jameer Gibbs doesn't fumble, if uh, Josh Reynolds catches a fourth down and then the other one I think was a third down where they, they hits him, you know, I always say it hits him between the numbers. He wears number eight. Yeah. It hit him on the dot where the eight like comes together. Um, I, I think that Johnson had a tremendous day. Um, it just, you know, eventually guys got to make plays and that kind of died out for them in the second half. Yeah, and I think I go back to that thing that, um, gosh, um, the head coach used to be here. God, what did he say? Uh, Gruden used yeah. to say all the time to you where it's like at some point, like the players got to make plays. Like there's no change in terms of our approach. Like guys just they, they made more plays than we did. And I felt like when I was watching the game, you could feel that kind of ebbing away at these critical moments. Right. Detroit still looked explosive. They still looked dynamic. But hey, here's a critical third down. We get we don't get here's a critical fourth down. Here's a fumble. Here's a turnover. Like. And all that stuff, it, it just stacks on itself. And in, in a normal game against a normal team, it doesn't really matter. You can get away with that. But against a team that's one of the maybe the best team in football in San Francisco, it matters. Every one of those opportunities matters. And I think that was the fun thing about watching both of those games is that every play was significant and important because both of those teams, all four of those teams were so good. And I think you see that with Detroit. It's like I don't, I didn't see like a – a dip in play calling necessarily. I saw a dip in execution and that's where that kind of that chicken or the egg thing comes in. And it's a conversation we've had about this organization a ton. It's like, is that the play caller not putting those guys in good situations or is that them not making catches and plays when they have to? And I think when the guy drops an easy, like a relatively easy pass, <laughs> it's like, man, it's there for you. We got, we got to make this play. So right. I, I think that that was the takeaway I had. It just, in a normal game, probably don't even notice it. Honestly, probably don't. It doesn't even matter. But you're playing the San Francisco 49ers. 
um, in one of the biggest games of the year. So it's going to matter and it's going to be significant. No doubt about it. All right. Uh, next time we talk about Ben Johnson or Mike McDonald or Anthony Weaver or Aaron Glenn, uh, one of them is probably going to be the head coach. Uh, that or it'll be Dan Quint. Uh, so one, we're going to have a head coach soon. So we'll talk <laughs> about that uh, on the podcast later in the week. But coming up next, Logan again and Mobile, Alabama at the Senior Bowl. So let's talk about what he will be watching this week. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Wrapping up, take command. Uh, all right, Logan, you are at the Senior Bowl. Uh, it, obviously, we're going to have our eye on quarterbacks this week. Bo Nix is in, Michael Penix are down there. Um, we're going to be doing a lot more stuff on the quarterbacks moving forward. So let's put them to the side for the moment. When you look at some of the other big positions of need, and I'll say like offensive tackle, edge, tight end, linebacker, any of those yeah. position groups particularly intrigue you this week as you get set to go to your first practice down in Mobile? I mean, they all intrigue me because they're all need positions, right? But they intrigue me in different ways. So, for example, the O-line, I mean, it's incredibly deep this year. And I think, like, they're, I think uh, we talked about this on the last podcast. There's probably going to be seven to eight offensive tackles, offensive linemen drafted in the first round. And it's fun because a couple of those guys are here. So, Talisi Fuaga's here, the guy from Oregon State. Measured in yesterday, 33-inch arms, a little shorter. So, you know, some people say he might be a guard. And this is a good opportunity to kind of see, hey, am I a guard? Am I a tackle? I think you can do both. Uh, Troy Fontenew from Washington, from UW, will be here. He's one of the best kind of guard tackles in the class, played left tackle at UW. Is he converting inside? Tyler Guyton, Jordan Morgan, also like tremendous talents. Tyler Guyton converted tight end. I mean, just is a tremendous athlete. And so, like, if by some miracle – he slips to you in the second round. I think you're doing backflips if you're watching him. But all those guys, to me, feel like first-round players. Then you kind of get into that second-tier guy, and you get like the Kingsley uh, Sumatayas, right, from BYU, who's kind of a more developmental guy, bigger body, kind of that athletic frame. But well, I guess what I'm trying to point out here is there are a lot of good football players at the tackle positions. Brendan Coleman from, uh, from Texas. No, Christian Jones from Texas. Brendan Cole from, Coleman from TCU. So there's like – I don't want to say you can throw a rock. Because like you said, it's a little bit more top-heavy because like they value that position. It's going to move up. But I think there's going to be guys there in the second round, if you value them appropriately, that can make that pick. And I think that's why it's exciting for me to be here this week because there's a lot of guys that meet this criteria. There's a lot of guys that I have a draft grade on. There's a lot of guys that I have a starter grade on. And it's just about seeing how they perform in this setting. So let me ask you this slash ask you this on behalf of the audience, because I think the term position flex got a poison forever here in DC <laughs> over the last four years. When you say like, is he a guard? Is he a tackle? What, what is the line of delineation there? What makes someone guard material versus someone who can play outside? Like what are the traits? And then what, like, why does it work for some and not for others? Well, I think Brendan Coleman's a really good example of this. He's the TCU tackle. He played tackle at TCU, but he's probably going to play guard here. And so you're, what you're looking for is just kind of a different type of athleticism. So tackles tend to be like basketball players. They have this really nice hip flexibility. They can kind of glide out of their set. 
And if you think about it, they have more space to contend with. So you want to see kind of this really athletic flexibility and then strength and power. And guards can be a little bit more rigid, right? They're kind of dealing, and that's what Brendan Coleman brings, right? He's like this rigid, tight-backed, tight-hipped, but he gets his hands on you, he can move you out of the spot, right? And I think like that's a really good juxtaposition. Like, yeah, Brendan Coleman can play tackle, but why do I want to put that guy out there? I want a Tyler Guyton to play tackle, right? I want Felici Fuaga, right? He's a very good athlete in terms of how he moves. The arm length might be an issue, but we'll see. That's what this this week's for, right? Um, but I want that more athletic kind of basketball type out there because, again, they're not dealing with the same body types. And I think that's one of the reasons kind of diverging here is why you see like Chris Jones or Deron Payne when they move to the edge. They give tackles a hard time because they're not used to dealing with those big body types while guards, on the other hand, tend to be very comfortable. Like, oh, I, I got this on lock. I'm ready to rock and roll. So that's kind of the difference. And I, and I do think like this is – I know position flex was poisoned, but there is value there, right? I want a guy that can play multiple positions because you only carry – some teams only carry seven on game day. So like we got to be able to make sure we move people around and, and, and give us an opportunity to get the best five on the field. So that's why a guy like Troy Fontenot from UW, who again played left tackle. I don't think he's a left tackle in the NFL, but let's say you have an injury. And you say, man, this guy can play left or right tackle if we need to, and we can bring that swing guard in. Because I personally think it's easier to find a guard than it is to find a tackle. So when there's an opportunity to, got, to have a guy who's got tackle ability, like I think you got to jump on that, kind of like Sam Cosby. And again, that's one of the reasons why these positions on the offensive line are so valuable, in my opinion. Because let's say you draft a Sam Cosby in the second round, it doesn't work out at tackle. He's a fine tackle, but he's a really good guard. The, you don't miss on the pick in the same way. Right. I, I think I do think something that maybe they took that too far uh, on the O-line oh, is like, yeah, you need to get like if you're doing that and with the intention of that guy playing guard, but you know, in a pinch, he can play tackle. That's one thing. Right. If you do it the other way, that's where you get in trouble. Or if you're yeah. like, we're drafting this guy to play tackle. Oh, crap. He's a guard. Well, now you're without right. a tackle. And I think that is that is where they got themselves in trouble um, these last couple of years and where a guy like, you know, Braden Daniels, where everyone's like, Hey dude, guard. And then they draft and play tackle and it didn't yeah. look very good in camp. Um, that's going to wind up being, being a miss if they keep trying to tackle. Obviously we'll see what the new regime does. Uh, it's, is he missed his entire rookie season on IR. Um, tight end is another position that, that yeah. definitely, I think we see the value, you know, something we didn't really talk about. I guess you touched about it on it briefly, but, um, something that's worth underlining, uh, about championship weekend is all four teams had stud tight ends and yeah. some teams had two like you know the Ravens have likely and Mark Andrews um, the Chiefs obviously have Kelsey uh, 49ers with, with Kittle and, and Laporta with the Lions it is such a valuable position what does this class look like and what is the likelihood that you know the commanders can get a really good one with one of those five top 100 picks yeah I mean obviously there's Brock Bowers who's probably going to be a top 10 pick, top yeah. five pick, depending on maybe top 15. Like he's, he's maybe the second best pass catcher in the draft. So it just depends on how you want to allocate that resource in terms of value. Um, Jadavion Sanders is a guy that I think is really interesting, a little stiff for me, but he's kind of the second guy. And I do think there is, um, you know, there's guys here at the senior bowl that I'm excited to watch, right? There's a uh, Jared Wiley from TCU, a guy that, Block like a tackle in 2022 and caught passes like a receiver in 2023. Can those guys be the same player this year? And you got to kind of figure out what's going on there. But after that, you get kind of in this land of misfit toys, right? There's Jaheim Bell who measured in at 6'1 and 244. So built like a running back, 
runs like a wide receiver. My comp for him was Debo Samuels, just to give you an idea of like how he fits in an offense. So can he play real tight end for you? Probably not, but maybe like a move F piece. There's Ben Sonat, who is a kind of a fullback. He reminds me a lot of Kyle Juszczyk when I watch him. So again, there's not like this like archetype for the position. There's Theo Johnson for Penn State, a big kind of Gronkowski type guy, but doesn't run that well. You know what I'm saying? There's all these guys that have these warts. So to me, outside of the top three, I don't feel like there's a strong kind of game-changing type player. Tanner McLaughlin from Arizona is interesting, converted wide receiver, moving to the position, runs like a receiver, but doesn't really block very well, doesn't have that dynamic athleticism. So I think an interesting person in this conversation is Johnny Wilson from Florida State. I was just about to ask about him because he was so he was a stud receiver at Florida State, but he gets down there to Mobile and he weighs in at 237. And people are immediately going tight end. And he played at 237, but he's just so damn big. He's 6'6. His arms were 35 inches long, which is crazy. He had the longest wingspan of any non-offensive lineman at the combine. I think only two guys had longer longer wingspans. One was Patrick Paul, who was who's six seven. The other one is Miles Cole, the defensive end from Texas Tech, and he's like six five. He also has the longest arms like ever measured. They were like 36 inches and a quarter at the at the measurement yesterday. So crazy. So like, I I personally think he's a receiver. Like he just moves like a receiver. His route running nuance is so high. But can you kind of maybe bastardize his role and be like, hey, we're not going to ask you to block in line, but we'll have you do some like kind of move, maybe some cut blocking, some stuff like that. Because uh, again, he doesn't have like the the physicality. Like he's big, obviously. He's long and he looks like more like a basketball player, but he doesn't have like that that muscular development to be like you could be a titan right away maybe if you gain 15 pounds would be that guy but he's really interesting it's kind of that big f big z potentially we'll see then again that's it's a big week for him if he wants to play a receiver this is a great week to say hey man i'm mike evans i'm not jimmy graham you know and so that's kind yeah. of something you're watching because again like he's a guy that has a very unique skill set catches the ball well he had a couple drops this year which were frustrating but runs Excellent routes. One of the better route runners in the class. It's just he's big as hell. So, like, where do you put him? <laughs> right. And, and again, very interesting talent. All right. Uh, last question for you. Now, this is harder at the beginning of the week than it will be at the end. But who is, like, your one, two, or three candidates for the all-Logan Paulson team by the end of the week? Like, who's, <laughs> like last year, it was we came out, and it was like, Cody Mock. Love that dude. He's, yeah, he just bro. mauls people. Think he's missing some teeth. Like we just we love Cody Mock. Is there anybody going into the week where you're like, I'm pretty sure I'm gonna come out loving this dude? Obviously, you'll 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 get the actual Logan Paulson team when you uh when you watch practice, but who's the early that, candidate? That's a great question. So obviously uh Halisi Fuaga, like the way he plays on film, he is just a animal. And I, you know, I like animals. And so he, again, <laughs> it's easy to say him because he's like the first tackle on my board. Right. I put him in my top 10 on my mock draft, which is kind of beyond command center this week. So obviously I really like him a lot, but there's a reason I like him a lot. It's because he plays the game with a violent edge. Um, also there's, uh, what's his name? Simone Vahi for um, Utah, who's a really interesting player. And again, like I, I can't wait to watch this guy play. He played safety. He reminds me of like Eric Weddle, not a great tackler. But then he played three games at running back this year and looked like um, Christian McCaffrey. And that's not an exaggeration. So I want to see him. I don't care if he – he's excellent. He's very fast and explosive, great ball skills, great in coverage, not a great tackler. 
But watching him run the football, I was like, I want to see him with the ball in his hands more. So is that is this a week where you kind of say, hey, man, this guy's a dynamic player at the running back position? I don't know, but I want to see him. Johnny Wilson's a guy, again, I'm, I've got him circled in red pen. Um, you know, there, there's a lot of receivers here that I think are going to be really dynamic football. Uh, you know, we talked about this at nauseum, but those are some guys that I've kind of got circled. Like, what are you going to be? How physical are you? Really, and again, another guy I want to point out, Patrick Paul, just because the measurements came out yesterday, 6'7", 330, 36-inch arms. Like, I don't know if he's the best football player. I don't have him graded that highly, but he's a big son of a gun, and it's always fun to see how those guys play on the first day. So, Yeah, for sure. Uh, I'm, I'm very excited for the all-Logan Paulson team. Uh, we'll do that probably early next week. Uh, we anticipate our next podcast being about the next commander's head coach. Uh, whether that happens, we're recording this Tuesday morning. It could happen as soon as today. They're, they're doing the interviews uh, first, I think, in Ashburn today. Then they fly to Detroit uh, to, to do the interviews with Aaron Glenn and Ben Johnson. Uh, those could spill into tomorrow, but I would imagine by Thursday, the absolute latest we have a coach, but uh, I would say, I'd say this. Uh, our next podcast will be later this week, and it will be about the new head coach, <laughs> barring something very bizarre happening. Uh, exactly what day that pod will be uh, is kind of a TBD, depending on that news, um, but that's why you subscribe. Whenever uh, it happens, we will have it for you, and of course, if it does happen sooner than Thursday or Friday when we are scheduled to record again, we'll try to get you some instant reaction uh, from the Hoffman Show that we will stick in the Take Command feed. Often, Logan will call in, uh, and we'll have him on the radio show and so we get you the 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 same insight and analysis in that forum so subscribe to the take command podcast wherever you are listening right now and we will see you later in the week here on take command